I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is Bitches on Comics. I'm Sarah Century. I was just now sitting in the complete darkness until I reached over and turned on a light. And now my eyes, um, they're adjusting. (laughs) Just like Sarah in the dark, reaching for the light. It is us, Bitches on Comics, the light of your ears. (laughs) (laughs) I am Essie Fleetor. The light of your ears. I know. I'm like, listen oh, up. Oh, <laughs> God. I want, a, I want a shirt that says that. And, uh, you know, we're back as we tend to be. You can't keep us down. We just keep coming back. Like, no. You know what? I was going to do a whole The Walking Dead reference. Sarah's mm. got me watching The Fucking Walking Dead again because she's <laughs> That's like, what listen, there's five minutes of lesbians. And I was like, listen, I'm in. <laughs> If you watch all 11 seasons, there will be a combined five minutes of lesbians. And that five minutes is amazing. I also really like Aaron, who's like the bear who has like a mace for an oh, arm. Oh, I like fun. Aaron. I, you know, I started up with when his like boyfriend got killed. That's like this episode I started. Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, this is, but they're so cute. And yeah. Like, oh, and now he Jesus had another one who died. Eric, what? I think was his name. Yeah. Oh, he had man. another one, and it was also tragic. You're this not bear cannot it. win for losing. I know. Oh. He has a really cute daughter on the show. So if anybody wants to talk to us about <laughs> Walking Dead, just go ahead and text us. 
<laughs> just text us. You've all got our number. That's how just we did it. Text us. It's perfect. Uh, and you know what? Unrelated to The Walking Dead, <laughs> I am delighted today to have with us a very special guest, the one and only Fell Hound. Fell, welcome to the pod. Hello. Thank you for having me on Bitches and Comics. I am super excited to be here. Um, I have never seen, well, I think I've seen like the first season of The Walking Dead, so mm-hmm. I had no idea that they were even gazing it at all. Wait for but it. Now maybe I should watch it for the five minutes because that's how desperate I am. <laughs> that's how desperate I was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, I'm sorry, are there lesbians? And it was before they were even revealed to be lesbians that I was just like, I think those two are lesbians. And then they were oh, lesbians. Oh, you mean when like, like yes. Magna was sitting in Yumiko's lap? Yeah. And I was, was like, they're gay. gay, right? <laughs> On The Walking Dead, you don't know. Well, and the camera pans pretty quickly past it. It's, it's like, like, don't look at oh, that. If you blink, if you blink, you'll miss it. My favorite kind of representation, if I'm being And then they're listening to literally country music, and you're just like, oh, my God, these lesbians. Anyway, I love them. (laughs) (laughs) I wish the whole show was just them. Every time I watch it, I'm just like, I want it just to be Magna and Yumiko and, like, I don't know, maybe, like, five other characters. Aaron can be there, you know. Rosita. Rosita, Of course. Yeah, we love Rosita. Uh, Anyway, well, Fel, whenever you get around to it, we'll just go (laughs) ahead and have you back on so that... The first 10 minutes of this conversation, I guess, will all of a sudden click and you'll be like, oh, my God, yes, of course, Yumiko, right? And I'll be like, the pantsuit, right? And you'll be like, oh, the pantsuit. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) You know, it was something that you said, Fel, it was just like this little comment just now. You were like. I'm desperate for it. And I was like, mm-hmm. if that is not like the the like experience of being a queer person watching TV and film and like what I take away from the TV shows that I watch is very different from I think what a maybe a straight, you know, viewer might. Sarah and I were texting about this because we were like, you know, you think about it. It's like to me, the TV shows that I watch, they just are the queer storyline, no matter how much of it like dominates or doesn't the show. Like we were talking about Tara from Buffy. and We were mm-hmm. like, she's in every episode. And we're like, wait, she's not introduced until season four. And like they didn't think they were going to be love interests. This is wild. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm curious. I think there's a segue here. <laughs> Let's see if there is. It might just be more bullshit. But I'm curious, Fel, like, is that a piece of why you started writing your own stories and creating your own stories? Is this sort of, you know, being sick of table scraps? If I'm I'm putting words in your mouth, so feel free to change all of them, obviously. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's kind of a part of it. I mean, I also feel like it's also, you know, as a queer person. You know, I I like queer stories. That's just what I like. And people, I guess, tend to write what they know and what they like. So it actually is just supernatural to me to write queer characters. Like, I don't even think about writing straight characters. It's not even a thought. I'm just like, yeah, it's going to be character. They're going to be queer. And that's kind of my default, even. (laughs) So that's kind of how that works out. But, like, I just remember growing up and, like, I, you know... Even if there were, like, five minutes of, like, background lesbians in it, I'd be like, all right, I guess I'm watching this, like, you know, three seasons of a show for these five minutes. Because it's just, like, that's just what you got growing up. And now sometimes. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about your comics because <laughs> we started off by reading, I think, Commander Rao was the first one that we ended up reading. But you've done a few. So I know of... Commander Rao, and I know of And We Love You, but what other comics am I missing? Because I know that you've done more than that. 
Yeah, I am. Um, those are, I mean, I think feel like those are my biggest two. I did one before Commander Rao called Do You Believe in an Afterlife? Oh, it's kind yeah. Of, yeah. It's like half comic, half prose. Um, it did not have a super depressing ending. <laughs> uh, the lesbians rode off into, into the countryside happily ever after, even though the world was ending. And <laughs> so, and I actually made a comic before all of that that I never talk about or even bring up. It was actually called Captain Fix It or the mighty Captain Fix It. It was like this um, like superhero comic that was kind of like an allegory for, I guess, like unhealthy relationships. And mm-hmm. that was probably what I'd consider to be actually like the first comic I really tried to self-publish and put out there. And that's like the whole reason I got a Twitter and everything. But I couldn't really draw back then, so it didn't look great. So I don't. I kind of like hit it, and I haven't really brought it back since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that. I made zines whenever I was in my 20s about exes, and I'm like, I hope that nobody finds those ever. I know that people did, because even back then I was really good at talking about myself, but got rid of a bunch of zines, and um, yeah, hopefully... They all got lost somehow and nobody ever sees them. <laughs> it's like one of those things where like it, even like years into the future, somebody's going to do a collection and like you're very the work where you were like, no, 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 <laughs> that one's going to be like at the front because they're like, this is their first work. And you're like, no, yeah, it's anyway, not supposed to be seen. <laughs> I didn't want anybody to know right? unless <laughs> unless you're showing it to burn it. Then please don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, oh man, that's a lot of trouble for you to go to, right? But I was thinking about how your art style has kind of changed. But from what I remember is in Commander Rao, there was a lot, it, well, in the first one that you mentioned, there is, it's like a prose with a lot of uh, di- like dialogue and story next to it, from what I remember. And then to this day, you kind of have this really interesting approach to how you lay out all of the panels. And I was wondering about that because there's this really cool sequence that actually I'm looking at right now in And We Love You, where the panels all kind of blur and become like puddles of blood, but there's this story that's happening within them. That's such an interesting move. So I was just curious if when you're planning out comics, is that something that like it kind of comes up for you where you're trying to think of interesting ways to do like the panel layout or like the layout of the book. Uh, yeah. So I think when it comes to, I guess, drawing my own comics and my own work, the way I approach my pages is that I don't really think in terms of like panels, like panel one, panel two, panel three, I kind of approach every page as its own illustration. So then I kind of like look at a page and go like, how can I make this look the coolest? And I don't really you know, I, th- I think about how to move the story forward sequentially, but I don't think of it in terms of like, here's a box with panel one and here's a box with panel two. Or at least I try to. Like, I think in And We Love You, it starts off with a lot of the, the k- kind of like cool blood layouts, but then eventually those are really hard. So then I did end up just putting <laughs> everything into squares later on. But yeah, um, I was really inspired. Um, have you guys read Batwoman Elegy from J.H. Williams? <laughs> Yep. Oh yeah. So that's pretty sure both of us have. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's like one of my favorite comics. I adore J. Williams layouts, and honestly, it's like you know, it's always been a dream of mine to like be on his level in terms of art. So I think that's kind of why I really wanted to like push the layouts and you know try to experiment a lot and just kind of see you know how far you can kind of push the medium in terms of this kind of visual storytelling. 
because I think there's so much you can do with it that you can't do in any other medium. So it's like, why not have some fun with it? In Batwoman, I feel that his work has made it to where everybody who works on that comic has to bring their A game, right? Because I remember... All of the follow-ups, like the Marguerite Bennett series, the artists on those were doing really interesting work as well. So I kind of think that almost as interesting as that style is, it has also made a bunch of people kind of experiment in the same way, right? And that's kind of the coolest thing about the Batwoman series, definitely. But now that you mention it, yeah, I can definitely see, you know, a little bit of J.H. Williams (laughs) in these stories. (laughs) Especially like the just absolutely brilliant use of the color red, right? That's like something that that comic is always really well known for. But you do all this interesting stuff with it. Like you have these scenes where it's memories and then there's like splashes of blood, like kind of tinging the memories. It'll be like sepia tone and and then kind of, you know, blood on the edges and stuff. And yeah, no, it, it always looks really awesome. When you were laying out your pages, were you also thinking about like, I want this to be doing something interesting in the background as well. Uh, yeah, actually. Um, so funny thing about this comic is that I've actually, this is like the third iteration of this comic and we love you. Like I've drawn it twice before for the last, I guess, I think the first version was in like 2013 and it was like kind of crudely drawn on printer paper with a ballpoint pen and I couldn't draw back then. So it looked really bad, but I've always had this kind of <laughs> idea about like, the story that I wanted to tell about, like, you know, how cool it would look if I had a story about someone, you know, just bleeding out their memories. Because um, I feel like that's the kind of story that you can't, it's hard to tell in, like, any other medium, but it was, like, so specifically for the comics medium that I had to do it. So then when I tried to draw it back then, it didn't look good. And then I tried to draw it again in 2015. And it was just this kind of whole process of trial and error throughout the last 10 years to kind of figure out how to make it how to tell the story, I guess, you know, the best way I could or to have it the most impactful way I could. Um, Because originally the entire comic was in color back in like 2013. And then in 2015, I was like, what if it's only the blood in colors? What if, you know, all the backgrounds in black and white so then we can make the memory stand out? And then, yeah, and then this um, And We Love You just kind of expanded on everything and tried to make it look cooler. And, you know, even then it still took, a lot of trial and error, like trying to figure out how to, I guess, place all the blood panels so that it would still make sense and that it would still be readable. That took a lot of work. It was just like me going back and forth with my editor, Frankie White, and I'd just be like, hey, here's a page, here's a page of thumbnails. Can you like dissect, like, you know, can you like draw a line through like how you're reading these panels? And if he, you know, did it the way that, you know, wasn't intended, and I'd go back and I'd just kind of redraw it. So it was a lot of trial and error and a lot of back and forth. I think it took like three months for me to figure out how to do those first few pages. Mm-hmm. Even as the story goes along, too, I feel like there's this whole uh, sequence where memory and then there's it's like the blood is kind of like fading into letters and musical notes so the way that it's kind of transitioning from memory to memory I think is really interesting just basically making the blood such a narrative tool I guess especially whenever you're in a story that obviously like you know there's a lot of blood (laughs) happening (laughs) because you know all of the reasons the fighting 
the fighting. Yeah, I love this. And I love the kind of the domination of the musical notes over some of these. And um, yeah, I was curious how you went about like the song. Is it you or, or did somebody else write the song? And if so, kind of how did you think of this layout? Is that the one with like the black background and then she's black like, background? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then there's like blood dripping through these like spaces between it. Yeah. Um. So the song I just kind of made up. It was um originally I think I had a placeholder song in there. It was a song by Beirut. I can't remember which one I used. And then Frankie was like, "Yeah, actually, you can't do that. It's copyrighted." So I had to make <laughs> my own song. And then I just kind of as I used to really like writing poetry, so I think. It was just kind of harking back to that and trying to, you know, combine some of my old poetic roots into this comic. And it was, yeah, it was just kind of fun putting in a little musical poetry in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of alongside of all of like the violence that's happening in these folks' lives. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think it's important to have like some of those quieter moments. And I feel like, you know, whenever I watch like, old world movies there's always like the scene where people are like singing so I was like well I need I need a scene where they're singing to kind of be reminiscent of these like kind of old war movie vibes I guess so here's some singing (laughs) yeah I would like to hear more about that were there specific movies that you put into the comics um so one that I started watching I was watching a lot of like world war one documentaries and movies um Mm -hmm. there's a documentary called they shall not grow old I think by Peter Jackson, that was about like pretty much like World War One and how like they, they recruited all these, you know, young people who like thought they were doing, you know, they wanted to fight for the country and they wanted to do a good thing. But then once they got to the actual horrors of the war, they're like, holy shit. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that was one of the, uh, you know, it almost kind of inspired the whole vibe of And We Love You because that's kind of the same thing. It was you know, the book is really about how you have these, like, young people who, you know, got swept up by the army with the promise of doing something good and doing something great with their life and then just find out that they were almost lied to through propaganda and how, you know, they're just really being sent to die and none of this war fighting really matters. Um, Another movie that I guess really inspired it was 1917. Uh, I really, really loved how it was like one continuous shot. I thought that was so cool. Um, I love that it it kind of got, because it was one continuous shot and you follow like this one character the whole time, you get to see like, you know, the flow of his life and the flow of how, you know, being on the trenches is really like, um, they had this really cool singing scene in it. And it was just like this really, I guess, soft, tender moment amidst all the fighting in the trenches. And it was really cool. So I was like, how can I get like those feelings and those moments into my own comic I guess yeah and I I do feel that it does we were kind of uh talking about how there's kind of a lot of you know people might die in certain stories and all of this and it's I think that there's something to be said about that though because it is kind of hard to tell a story about war in any way right without having a whole bunch of bad things happening I think that war movies when they have like a super optimistic last note it's kind of like a horror movie whenever I'm just like (laughs) I don't really buy that ending though because like are you sure they just got away like this person kept coming back from the dead and coming after them and you know are you sure you've gone to such lengths to show me the ravages of war and now you're like and it's all good I'm just gonna say 
Hard to buy that film. <laughs> they were fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dear film, insert film name here. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that I want to talk about so much, Fel, and, and Sarah knows this is something I think we both talk about a lot with uh, fiction based in like war is, you know, there's a, a way to tell a war story that is incredibly, you know, like... Uh, overly patriotic or overly like we had to get in there and kill some people or whatever the thing is. But then there's another way to tell a a war story that is, is fundamentally anti-war. And I'm curious if you would agree with this, but I would say for both Commander Rao and, and we love you, they're definitely anti-war stories. There's especially, Oh, what's that line? Oh, you used it as a, like your opening on, and we love you. And it's from, Commander Rao, which is, is this what they made you die for all those years ago? And I think when you're trying to write an anti-war war story, it can sound antithetical, but it, it's, you have to get so in the trenches, apologies for the pun, to, to really explore that. And so there's also like, it seems to me a price you kind of have to pay as an artist to go to that place. I'm, you know, I'm just curious, like, what does it mean to you to tell an anti-war war story? Am I wrong? <laughs> do you love war? And, you know, like, how do you as I'm like, I, I, don't worry about that part. I obviously know that's not true. And then how do you as fell as a human being, as a person in the world? It's a lot to to dig up these these deep violences and face them. And so I'm curious how you how you manage that. Yeah. So, <laughs> um. I guess with And We Love You, like, first of all, I, I, it's like I was trying to be really careful to make sure these weren't like pro-war stories. Um, I feel like if you write a war story that is pro-war, then you're probably doing it wrong. No offense if someone wrote a really great war story. But, um, I, you know, my personal feelings is that all war stories should be in some way anti-war because like they're are really no winners in war. (laughs) Like, you know, you might, the war might be over, but at the end of the day, it was still such like a huge tragic cost of human life. Like you can't have war without, you know, massive destruction of, of people, of things, of, of, you know, properties. And it's, you know, it's not a good thing. And I don't think it should be a good thing. So when writing Command Around and We Love You, I really wanted to show that even though you know, these soldiers, they're right, you know, they're fighting against this evil bear and this evil regime. But that doesn't mean that the resistance are necessarily like, you know, the the angels, the good guys, you know, they're, they're doing things that are just as bad. Like they're recruiting these young people, you know, promising them like better lives. And then they're just sending them off to die. And then, you know, when you do die, you're, you know, your body never gets found. And, you know, there isn't really any kind of like big hero hero memorial for you it's just you know you're dead (laughs) and there's there's nothing after that and I think that was just something I wanted to explore which was kind of to take down that aspect of almost heroism in war like I don't think it's all kind of rosy and all like you know just because you're fighting doesn't mean you're necessarily a hero it just means you're kind of someone who's fighting and you're someone who just kind of got swept up in all this and it's all kind of a mess, isn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah, it definitely stretches beyond just the people who are fighting, right? 
So I was also thinking because you show that there's this kind of these promotional posters, right? Which is very like um, reality. It reminds me of reality, but it also reminds me of like storm stormship troopers or like any number of things that are kind of showing this. But it actually it made me think a lot whenever I saw it in this context because I was thinking the way that you draw it. It reminds me of seeing like a concert poster or something like that whenever you're like a teenager. And I was like, concert posters used to like draw me in all the time, right? So <laughs> I think it kind of made me think about how, you know, it, it really is something where it's like you could have just as easily answered this poster as that poster. And, you know, you kind of like I got into music, but there just isn't a huge difference, right? In like the way that people look for like a community whenever they're young. And sometimes that can mean like really bad things. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, I really wanted to tell Julie's story as kind of like, it's almost like a, a foil to Commander Rao because Commander Rao is like this, you know, almost like inhuman superhero like person who like just kicks ass. But, you know, in And We Love You, we kind of get the opposite of that. We just kind of get, you know, young people and young soldiers who were trying really hard to escape their desperate lives. Like, we see Julie, you know, every, you know, her her family kind of sucks. Her mom left her. Um, She was really poor. She had, like, no friends. And she just didn't really have anywhere else to turn to. So then when this guy came and was like, you know, you can have a great job, you can be a hero, you can have all this glory, you can have like, you know, camaraderie and friendship. It's like, it's hard not to say yes to that when you have nothing else and you have absolutely nothing to lose. So yeah, I I think what you said about just trying to find community, especially when you're kind of young and desperate. You know, it reminds me of this conversation that Sarah and I got to have with Nadia Shemes for Pride Month about her graphic novel, Squire. And Listeners won't know this, but I know because I flubbed what I was saying before (laughs) that you've already read Squire. And that's what this conversation's really making me think about is that sort of the pull of empire, the pull of the summer campy feel of the military, because there is a real summer campy feel to it for, I think, a lot of people. Maybe the summer camp that I would never fucking want to go to, but (laughs) nonetheless, right, there's challenges, you're teamed up, you're in units, you go to bed at a time, you wake up at a time, you, you get points, you know, like the whole fucking thing that is so appealing. Structure can be so appealing for, for certainly appealing for me, but for lots of people, for lots of reasons. And as Sarah said, then there's that layer of belonging, of community. And I'm curious, you know, when you look at Squire, because, well, a, now we have to talk about Squire because it's <laughs> rules. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you see your, your work in conversation with that? Because I certainly do. I'm not trying to be like, Trixie with this. I see these as very much in conversation. Um, but I'm curious, you know, where does that land for you? And like, what do you, what do you think of all those pieces? Yeah, I mean, I have friends who are in the military or were a part of the military. And I think from what they've told me, it's very like mixed feelings. I think it really takes a certain kind of person to like, you know, find their belonging in that. Um, <laughs> like I, I've known a couple people who were, I guess, med techs in the military, because I, I work in um, EMS. So a lot of people would like join the reserves and then they'd work in EMS here. And honestly, it's been, <laughs> what have you heard? It's it's really mixed, mixed things. Um, yeah, personally, I don't think that's kind of my community or a place that I would feel comfortable in, but I can see for maybe like a certain type of personality, <laughs> it might be good. 
I don't know, I feel like you have to be like really brazen and really it'd be like type A to really <laughs> be able to kind of keep up with kind of what the military is like. At least that's kind of from kind of my observations. Yeah, you know, I think what I was trying to get at is that the military is predatory. The very nature of it is to prey upon, you know, people like you said, like in in Commander Rao's position, you know, where they're, they don't have anything or anyone, or maybe they did, or, or maybe they don't have money, or maybe they don't have, you know, whatever it is. And I think in Squire, that's one of the things I really loved about the way Nadia tackled it was that it's, it's about, you know, these kids who have been told, oh, you don't belong to this community, this empire, but there's a way to earn your way into it. And I guess I'm asking, you know, what is it that for you, you're trying to explore in that recruitment activity in in these stories because to me they're so clearly like this is terrible you know all commander rao wants is to get you know the julie out of this situation all commander rao wants is to just you know get through it and and that doesn't happen for them you know as we know um so i'm curious for you, you know like the recruitment isn't necessarily on the page the same way. Sarah pointed out there are those propaganda posters. We see some articles. We see some different, you know, sort of found media pieces. But I'm curious, you know, why, what does that recruitment mean to the story, right? It falls off the page. So what does it mean to the story? And what is it that you're saying about recruitment in this anti-war narrative? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's just, you know, it. I was trying to show in some ways that, you know, just because they're, technically good guys it doesn't mean that they're good guys <laughs> so like you know the, it, the way that storytelling is done in and we love you because the story is so short like it's only 64 pages I had to push a lot of that into um I guess the background storytelling so you know you'd, you'd see a poster here or you have that one scene of like someone you know handing you a poster being like the fight for a better life starts with you and I I think that's kind of just how I want it to show that you know, this isn't, you know, a black and white world with good guys and bad guys. This is like you have on one hand people who are, you know, really, I guess, like people who kind of prey on, you know, the desperate population through propaganda in order to kind of feed the the army and the, the, the whole resistance and the military machine, because that's kind of how they get soldiers to fight for them. They don't really get soldiers to fight for them because of like the glory of the Republic or whatever. They just they go into these, I guess, you know, un underserved or like kind of poor populations and they just kind of do their recruitment that way. And a lot of it is kind of subtle in the book because, again, it's only 64 pages. I didn't have that much time to explore it, but, but I guess in my head that was kind of how I always envisioned it. Like I didn't want the resistance to just be like, yeah, we're the good guys. We can do no wrong. It's like, they're not really that great. They're just people fighting something even worse. And I think with war, it's, it's always messy. Like, you know, even if you're fighting against something horrible, it is messy and you're going to end up doing probably bad things, no matter how good your intentions are. So like, you know, even Casey and Julie, by the time they get into the military, you know, they probably do some terrible shit because <laughs> it's war, but it's like, they don't really want to be there. It's just they have, they feel like they have nowhere else to be and they're young and they don't really know any better, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's part of what I was, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I'm just curious about it because it's, it's such a beautiful comic and a beautiful story, let's say, going sort of over both comics. But it's also so, 
it's flashy. And like, I think, you know, if you wanted to just be like, wah, boom, bang, action, it's there. But there's so much heart and there's so much gentleness. And you know what? I was totally wrong. I forgot. Um, I think I got, I was so obsessed with the ending of And We Love You that I forgot that there actually are a couple pages where you do explore this sort of recruitment process and what led Casey to this point. And I thought they're so powerful because they're so tight. You know, we get such a, these little, I'm all drops because they're also framed in blood. Um, these little <laughs> drops of like insight into what is creating this situation for Casey. And then it's like, okay, so we've got this beautiful anti-war critique. And it's also a love story. Like, what are you doing to me? What are you doing to <laughs> me personally, Fell? Like, I can't handle it. So, so there are two things that I love to write. I, I love to write like queer romance and I love to write tragedy. So <laughs> those, those two things kind of mix together. Like I always kind of jokingly tell people that my ideal story would be gay space Titanic. Gay space Titanic. <laughs> I would, I would like watch the shit out of that. Like Titanic's <laughs> already my comfort film. So. Watch it. Fell, you need to write it. You're the one oh, who needs to write it. This is, we are calling upon you to write our gay space <laughs> Titanic, okay? I want to see it in a comic. I'm in. Sold. Pre-orders. It's, it's Done. a dream of mine. It's a dream of mine. You know, friends, I don't get to eat that many sandwiches. It's rough. What? I, I don't like it. I don't like it. I, I uh, rarely leave my home. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I don't really uh, keep the stuff for sandwiches in my house. But the other day, my partner and I went to a local grocery store called Marzix. And we got a sandwich that straight up blew my mind. And here's what I'll tell you, folks. I would give that sandwich five five sandwiches. I would say this is a five sandwich sandwich. As if this, <laughs> the rating system was zero to five sandwiches. Sandwiches, yeah. And I'd probably <laughs> give this podcast five sandwiches as well if you would give us five sandwiches or five stars or five five star sandwiches yeah 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 that's the preferred one delightful you can do that on whatever podcast platform you prefer that allows rate and review not all of them do that's not on me (laughs) i didn't make it up But if you could find it in your heart to go to an app you don't use, which I know is actually a huge ask. I respect that it is a huge ask. And rate and review us, or one you do use if it allows it, including Schmapple, we would really, really appreciate it. Not only are you giving us the sandwiches we need to sustain ourselves, the little pat on the back that makes the difference in our life, but also you're helping us find more people who are out there. They They are starving for the Bitches on Comics sandwich experience. Oh my God, I want a sandwich. Help them find us. I also uh, really, I'm gonna have to eat after this. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. You know, something I don't think we talked about. We'll come back. We're going to talk about the lesbians more. Um, but I think <laughs> for my own brain. So Commander Rao came out first, right? Mm-hmm. And so then And We Love You is a prequel. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was like, wait, did I misread everything? Because <laughs> that could be a possibility. So what made you want to tell it that way? Like, was that your intention all along? Or did you write Commander Rao and then you were like, oh, you know, it could be cool. I'm curious. Um, so the entire process, it's probably a lot more involved and a lot more of a lengthy process than anyone ever thought it was. Because the truth is, the comic that I've always wanted to make was And We Love You. Like, I told, like I, you know, I, I drew this comic almost 10 years ago in 2013. And I, I thought it was a really good idea. And I really wanted to make it work. But I just couldn't draw back then. Like, my art looked really bad. <laughs> Pretty much, this was a comic I always wanted to do. But, you know, by the time I think my skill was good enough to draw it, what I felt like was missing was that I didn't have an audience who I thought would actually read it. Because I feel like And We Love You at that point had turned in a comic that was very, I guess, like, it was a heavy comic. And it was very involved. And there's a lot of, like, you know, I guess conceptual things. And, like, the whole thing is kind of like a visual metaphor. And I, I guess I felt like I needed to curate an audience that would be into that kind of thing. So pretty much I kind of set it aside until I had enough of an audience that could maybe, you know, 
want to actually read this book that I worked really hard on. Um, so I decided to work on another comic after Do You Believe in Afterlife? And I was like, oh, well, I need to practice fight scenes. So I guess I'll, you know, make an action comic. And then that comic ended up being Commander Rao. And <laughs> to my complete surprise, when Commander Rao, I guess, popped off more than I thought it would, um, I think after Commander Rao, it was just like, well, I had, I, I, think I have the skill to draw this comic and I have more of an audience now. So why not just, you know, set this comic that I've always wanted to in the Rowverse and then just make it happen. <laughs> and that's kind of why they're related. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, it was always like a I maybe. See. It was like a maybe if Commander Rao did well, I could find a way to connect it. And this is my plan on how to connect it. But if Commander Rao like completely flopped, then I would have just like waited and made it its own thing later on. So it was I a see. lot of winging it. Oh, interesting. I love this. I'm like, yeah. Fel, tell me more about your process. This is fascinating. Process is chaos. As right. No, isn't it though? Like for, I feel like for most people, uh, you know, I feel like for me that really resonates because it's like sometimes I'm working on a story or, or something and I'm like, I know what that is, don't I? Sarah and I are working on a, a, a narrative podcast right now, which will be coming out soon. And I wrote them in like the reverse order of when they run or Same. I can't remember exactly. All of them are backwards. Yeah. And so person. then I'm like, oh, oh, as I'm editing, because I just I just turned in another draft for you, Sarah. As Thank I'm you. editing, I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. I didn't realize these people were the same character, but they are. You and could put like, this person in this room at this time and everything <laughs> would make twice as much sense as it did before whenever it made half as much sense as it does to me right now. Yes. <laughs> so it's neat that you were like sort of creating and finding the connections between them. So, uh, you know, I have a million questions, but I'd love to talk about the Commander Rao success. Talk mm -hmm. to us about that. What does that look like for you? Um, you said you weren't expecting it. Um, you know, I'm like, why the hell not? It's amazing. But, you know, like, <laughs> I get it because writing indie comics is a motherfucker. Um, but, you know, like, I'm, I'm curious for you, like, what is what is Commander Rao meant for you? And, and, you know, both as a story, but then also maybe for, like, your career as a creator. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, if it weren't for Commander Rao, I would not be here right now. So I, I feel like I owe that comic pretty much my en entire, you know, whatever kind of comics career I have right now. It's all been just Commander Rao. Um, I am still shocked that, you know, after two years, I am still kind of riding that hype train because, well, it got nominated for a Ringo Award, <laughs> which right. was, again, totally, totally unexpected. Um like, initially, when I made this comic, I was like, you know, I'm just going to make it a practice comic. And I literally told one of my friends, you know, I'm just going to release it for free. Hopefully some editors will find it and look at it and then go from there. And my friend was like, no, why would you give it away for free? Just put it on Kickstarter and make some money. And I was like, yeah, I do mm -hmm. like money. So I, I decided to go the Kickstarter route. And, like, I to, to this day, I don't know how it got as, as popular ish as it did it kind of has like I guess cult indie status um but yeah like the kickstarter did you know well beyond my expectations it got picked up by scout I think it won an award back in like 2020 for um this Canadian magazine um and now this Ringo nom and it's just been insane I am shocked I have people sending me pictures of like pasta sauce rouse pasta sauce <laughs> like every other month and it's like wow <laughs> So yeah, I'm I'm very grateful for you know everybody reading the book, everybody liking the book, everybody kind of like cashing in on my shenanigans trying to promote this thing. 
I feel like it really was a team effort to get to this point. And shout out mm-hmm. to my amazing letterer, Letter Squids, who did all the incredible lettering. He is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I love the lettering in these books. I was also going to say that I think you kind of mentioned, but Rao is just such a perfect action comic. It has this, I remember specifically this moment towards the end that I highly just recommend people check out. But there's definitely a very fun action sequence that I was a huge fan of. (laughs) Did you, you. did you feel, do you feel like getting more into action is kind of where your art style is going? Because I was thinking about that too, while I was reading this comic and being like, yeah, it seems like, I mean, yeah, there's a ton of action in this. And it seems in some ways like you'll have like a, the trawler machine or whatever kind of crawling across the sand. Like there's these kind of (laughs) epic moments of action where it's like, oh, there's, doesn't even have to necessarily be a person in this for it to be as impactful as it is. So I think that that's something that I noticed is, you know, Rao is such a like singular character that looks so awesome. We could, we should talk about the design of Rao, right? Because <laughs> let's talk like, about Rao! Before, before we get anywhere else in this, I want to talk about how cool Rao looks, right? Do you because think that she would make out with me? Top question. If you ask nicely, sure. Nice. I think... Who would win in a kissing would. fight, yeah. me or Rao? <laughs> Ooh, pretty competitive. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Listen, you don't want to start what you can't finish with Rao. Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> I just needed to scream some wild shit about Rao. It's amazing. No. The, the, char- it, the character design is beautiful. It, it. She's such an incredible character, and she's so compelling and. She, you know who she reminds me like a little bit of is me. um absolutely <laughs> Sarah Century. It's like if Sarah Century dressed up as the bad guy from Street Fighter, you know, and like that I feel like is a look. It's like the That's lesbian a world need. that we're never that far away from. To be fair. <laughs> I mean, hey, yeah. if any of you ever want to cosplay, I would I would be out. <laughs> right. I don't I think I think soon we'll be living in a Rao cosplay world because that design is really stellar. From what I remember, you talked about it at the end of the comic. I don't totally remember, but I think I remember seeing like you have some sketches and designs of Rao at the end of it. Is that correct? Yeah, um, there there was a lot that went into the um, design of Commander Rao. <laughs> like, it was a very, I guess, almost involved process. Because I think, first of all, like, I knew she had to look cool. Because she was kind of what I envisioned as, like, do, do you guys know Lady Maria from Bloodborne? Mm, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, like, obsessed with her character. Sure. I've never played Bloodborne. Um, the games are really hard. And I've yeah. tried to get into it. I keep dying. But Lady Maria from Bloodborne, I don't know why. I think her character design is so cool. She shows up for like four minutes in a boss fight and she has two lines and I'm completely obsessed. And I think that was kind of the energy I wanted for Commander Rao. I wanted her to look very cool, show up for a four minute fight scene and say two lines and then have everybody kind of just like be like, wow. So that was kind of the energy that I I really wanted for Commander Rao. And to do that, I was just like, what makes Lady Maria look so cool? And how can I do that except sci-fi? <laughs> yep, uh, definitely the billowing jacket cape helps, yes. right? Like, <laughs> come on. Yeah, so, I mean, it also is just excellent in an action sequence. I think that there's, a, like, I, as I was saying, there's totally this action sequence where it's, like, cape everywhere, 
Vengeance is hers. Everything <laughs> is, is like the exact thing you want out of a comic, basically. But I was thinking because that's such a singular figure, right? Like, the, you know, Rao, as you were noting, total badass, like rushing through, <laughs> being a champ. And then in like the evolution of like the action sequences that you do, I feel like you got a little bit more inventive in this one, right? So mm-hmm. I was wondering if you've thought about that, like you're trying to do new things with action lately, or um, is this just kind of like the natural progression of what you were doing? Um, to be honest, I think the fight scenes in Commander Rao were kind of inspired by this thing that my friend said about film. So I have a friend who's really into filmmaking and movies, and he made this point about how when you look at, I guess, old Laigusha films or old Kung Fu movies, the shots are really long, so you can kind of, um, I guess, appreciate the choreography and the fight scenes a little better, whereas in modern movies, everything is cut really, you know, you have a lot of, like, short and quick cut. So it looks, mm-hmm. I guess, more action, but you don't appreciate the choreography as much. And it got me thinking about that and just comic books and how, like, what if, you know, I applied that kind of long shot choreography to a comic book instead of just having like really quick panels that show like a billion punches? What if I just had like, you know, something that really showed the action flowing through everything? And that was kind of what I wanted for Commander Rao. I wanted to flow so that it almost looked like it was animated, but it wasn't, and that you can still kind of appreciate her movements from panel to panel without it feeling like it was broken up or losing momentum at any point in time. So that was kind of just my own experiment to see if I could do something like that in comics. (laughs) I think you pulled it off. Um, (laughs) I also (laughs) wanted to ask, S.E., did you have any other questions about Commander Rao? Because I feel like you would but I don't want to I feel like I just had mostly guttural screaming yeah um (laughs) that's who it was I think anytime we've talked about that comic actually like this actually tracks that is the best response thank you (laughs) (laughs) okay I actually want to ask I know that the comic was experimentation with action writing and I know that and we love you was this like you had it feels like maybe more of a story arc clear in your head when you started that how did you discover Julie and Casey specifically as characters? Um, so they were really inspired by <laughs> Max and Chloe from Life is Strange. Um, I, I really love that game. I thought they had a great dynamic. And I was like, you know, what if, and I think they're kind of like this, you know, what I look to, I guess, for like a really, really good a, a character dynamic and character relationship. Like you had these people who were like, you know, lifelong friends but then they were separated and then you know there's these like high world-ending stakes surrounding you know specifically their relationship to one another so when I was making I guess Casey and Julie I just wanted the same things for them I wanted you know those tender sweet moments I wanted you know to show how much you know they really loved and cared cared for each other and I wanted those you know really really high stakes on their relationship like these two with like pretty much die for each other but it's also a tragedy because I like tragedies I guess um but yeah (laughs) I just like how much you like tragedies which is a perfect segue (laughs) to a question I warned you I was gonna ask which was sad lesbians question mark and you know I think there's more to that question but I also (laughs) think that if anybody can handle just a sad lesbians question it's honestly you and Sarah. So I would love to know more about like, why is it that I do not like a lot of sad lesbian stuff? And why is it that yours is so fucking compelling? 
Like, why is it? What are you finding with sad lesbians that, like, <laughs> we're not finding in every story about sad lesbians, right? Because Commander Rao and We Love You, they're on a different level. What What are you excavating there? That is a great question. And to be honest, I wish I kind of knew what I was doing that made people not hate my stories because I was... <laughs> To be completely honest, this was something I've always been really worried about. Like the moment I wrote the ending of Commander Rao, I actually thought, okay, like maybe in Commander Rao, I could just like make them, you know, make their relationship just vague enough so that if people got mad, I could still get away with being like, actually, they're just friends. It's platonic. It's fine. But it wasn't until like a lot of queer people read Commander Rao and was like, oh, my God, this is really good. That gave me the confidence to kind of just own up to it and be like. Yes, it's queer. They're supposed to be queer. This is what I wanted. So I think a lot of that comes down to probably, I think, context and and nuance and just being respectful of the story that you are trying to tell. Um, I think in a lot of media with like bury your gaze, it happens and people hate it because it's just not done well. Like, you know, recently there's the ending of Killing Eve uh oh! <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Trigger moment. Flag on the play. Uh, Sarah loves it. Just want to forewarn you. I love it, but also it's okay if you don't love it. Sorry. Right, sorry. Ahead. Let me use a different example then. Um, <laughs> let me try to think of a different example. Um, oh, I mean, there's so many. That's the thing when you're talking about lesbians who have been killed by the Ark. We could talk about Tara from Buffy, or like, yeah, or, or Clexa. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, Alexa. <laughs> well, you know, I, it, so let me venture my guess. You know, I was going to answer my own question. Let me venture that guess, which is that I think because you understand the characters, maybe share a good deal of identity with the characters, there's a gracefulness and care here that is given to the characters that so often isn't in these barrier gaze mm-hmm. moments. So often they're used to titillate. They are used to shock. I mean, Lex's death, that was meant to be shocking. It was meant to piss people off. They didn't understand how angry Sapphix could get. Angry enough <laughs> to found their own goddamn conference. Yeah. <laughs> but, I I mean, that's my guess. I mean, I think it's the same thing that you do, Sarah, that I, you know, I see these, these similarities. I think it's because you all make me cry with your, your sad and then dead lesbians and Mm -hmm. but like it feels real to me because guess what people die like lesbians die that like they shouldn't die every time they're on the page on the screen right that shouldn't be the only thing that lesbians get to do but life involves death life involves tragedy and so for me, that's what I feel in And We Love You and Commander Rao. Sarah, you know, I've got like lists and lists of your stories I feel this way about where <laughs> it it breaks my heart, but in a way that feels true. And that makes it tenable. It breaks my heart, but in a way that feels like it honors queer characters. That feels tenable. Do I love it? Was I like, that Commander Rao ending left me feeling uplifted? I was not. I was not. I was sad. But that didn't mean that I didn't want to read it again. I've read it a couple times since then. It didn't mean that it felt, it doesn't even, it doesn't even, to me, it doesn't even relate to the barrier gaze trope. Because the other piece is that, that really relies on the idea of killing off your gaze, meaning a significant portion, if not all of your gaze, must die, right? And and your story is dripping 
with queer characters. And so it doesn't have to have that same thing. Like Commander Rao is the hero, right? And so it's not like, oh, the side character who's a lesbian got killed off to mm-hmm. drive a man's emotional arc or some other character's emotional arc. It's that this is actually, you know, it's a devastating thing that hurts Rao. Rao doesn't become stronger because she dies. Rao becomes... I mean, unhinged in a way, like does amazing shit. But like, I wouldn't say Rao is living like their best life or her best life. I wouldn't say that Rao is like no, fulfilled. <laughs> right. Well, that's exactly it. I like, you know, I, I approach these stories, you know, I like I want this to be a, a I, I guess, like the main thing is that this is a queer narrative. This is about queer characters like this is their story. And like you said, you know, sometimes people die and it sucks. And a lot of it, if I'm to be completely honest, it's very much inspired by dealing with these kind of emotions in my own personal life. And I just wanted to vent about them in comics format because, you know, when something's hard to talk about in real life, you just make it art and then communicate that way. So, you know, these stories mean a lot to me personally that way. Mm-hmm. I just really love that as the heart of creation is like, it's hard to talk about this thing. So I'll make fiction and we can talk about that. And I'll be talking about this other thing, but we're talking about the fiction. I love that. That's such a, ah, uh, fell art, art. Well done. That's exactly it. Okay. I'm going to go off on a bit of an anecdote here, but like yes. when I, when I made the story, um, you know, my mom read it. And then when the morning after my mom read it, she was like, she, I think she like straight up asked me at breakfast was like, are you depressed? Do you have depression? <laughs> and I was like, no, mom, I feel okay now. And she's like, are you sure? Like she was really concerned. But then it's kind of segue into this, like, I, I guess, tender moment where she was like, you know, like, I know that when sort of like people write sad things, it, and when artists make sad things, it, you know, they don't, I can't imagine you would have been like a very happy person to have, I guess, made something like this. So, you know, if there is something that's really sad and bothering you, she was like, you know, you can talk to me about it, right? And it was just like this really tender and sweet moment that I never thought I would have if I never attempted to make this book. Because, like, in Asian culture, we don't really talk about mental health and stuff like that. So it was unexpected, but it was really nice. And I guess it made me really happy that this book kind of did what I kind of hoped it would, which was kind of like open these doors to talk about feelings that are hard to talk about. (laughs) I'm like nodding. Yeah. I just realized that listeners can't hear that. Um. (laughs) It's our first episode uh of the pod. We forget. I was nodding in my own study too, Sarah. I was just like, "Mm -hmm." like, yeah, totally. Heartfelt. Yeah. (laughs) So, can I ask about the cover? Have we talked about the covers? Did I zone out and miss nope, something? No, we okay. haven't talked about the covers. So that's a good one because I was thinking about asking about that too. So why don't you go ahead? Yes. Okay. So a couple of things. One, tell me everything. Two, <laughs> I noticed that, uh, I don't know if this was purposeful, but if you put And We Love You next to Commander Rao, the blood kind of pours across the page. Did you know that? Did you do that on purpose? <laughs> I, yeah, so that was actually that was actually something I did do on purpose and did not wing. <laughs> um, I love it because I was yeah. I didn't notice until I put them next to each other. So when I say did you do it on purpose, I meant look how clever I am. I noticed something <laughs> you did on purpose. <laughs> you caught it. You caught my tricks. Um, yeah, it doesn't line up perfectly, but the idea was that 
Inan, we love you. You have like Julie bleeding out this figure of Casey, and then in Commander Rao, you have Casey or Commander Rao like forming from this trail of blood to rain vengeance down on her enemies. And I just thought that's you know it's like it's a cute couple thing to do. <laughs> You know, just couples doing couple things. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I love these covers. And I'm curious, you know, I think it's always fascinating when the person who, you know, wrote and draw the comic is also doing the cover. It's a little bit different than having like a cover artist come in. Also cool for different reasons. And so I'm curious, you know, there's different moments you've captured here. Like, I guess I may love you is a little bit more clear because that's kind of the moment that you expand for the whole story. It's a moment, but it's everything. But, you know, with Commander Rao holding this like... I don't even, I don't know, weapons, but knife um, across her face, you know, like, like, and like, you can tell, it feels like she's in the middle of a slash, right? I'm I'm curious, you know, what was this moment and what did you want to communicate with this cover specifically? And yeah, I think that's it. (laughs) Yeah. So the cover to Commander Rao was actually inspired by the cover to um, Batwoman Hydrology issue number one, which again, I am the world's biggest Batwoman fan. So... (laughs) Everything I do is just Batwoman. And in and, and the Batwoman cover, you have like this giant splash of Batwoman kind of holding her cape. And I just wanted something similar, but I kind of just swapped out the cape for a knife because I think it looks cooler. It looks more dynamic. It looks like she's about to stab someone. And isn't that what we all want? <laughs> and I, I guess I also really like covers that tell a story. Like you have this mysterious lady with an upside down dog tag on her hat and she's holding a knife. And then the bottom you have like her shooting a grappling hook at these bad guys. And you're like, you know, how, how does this all connect? You know, I want to, I want to know more about her. So that was kind of the intent for it, I guess. And just because it looks very cool. Awesome. (laughs) It looks so fucking cool. Like I feel like vibes is definitely a legitimate answer for any of my questions. (laughs) Yes. And now that you, you've said Batwoman a couple times. I don't know why it took until the last time for it to click. Now I'm looking at the bottom of that Commander Rao cover and I'm like, that is such Batwoman vibes in the best possible way. Like, I'm obsessed. I love it. The grappling hook, the cape, all of it. Get out of here, Batwoman. You're too good. I love it. <laughs> yes. This is, you know, what is Commander Rao if not just like my, my portfolio to draw Batwoman, you know? <laughs> you know what, DC, what are you doing? Get on this. I'm Bell here. rules. <laughs> yes. Sarah, did you have any other questions? Yeah, plenty of other questions. But I was thinking that I wanted to primarily ask, what do you have coming up right now? Because um, you did you self-publish both of these? I, I, I did self-publish them. Um, and Scout picked them up after. Um, That's right. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. So what are you, is there something that you're working on? What would you like to do in the future first? Because that is probably like a different question than what do you have in the works? Is there something that you have been thinking about trying with your next work or how is this going to kind of feed into your next thing? Yeah. So I really like Sword Ladies and I really like fantasy. That is something that I really want to do next. Um, Make a Sword Lady comic and just do like a fantasy thing. Um, I have some ideas. I think it would be really, really cool. I, I They're all in kind of, I guess, pre-production, so I can't say too much about it yet, but it is my dream to make a Sword Lady comic, so hopefully that will happen one day. I also really kind of want to revive some old projects. Um, I had this kind of sci-fi horror survival comic that I used to write, I guess, back in like 2015, um, something I always wanted to do, but it just 
it was like too big for my scope of skill back then. So then I kind of put it aside, but like I have all the scripts there and I still think it's a solid idea. So hopefully maybe one day I can go back to it. And those are kind of the two projects that are looming over my head right now. I am also in the very, very, very early stages of possibly co-writing like a, <laughs> a completely opposite, very wholesome YA book with a friend of mine. Can't say too much about it yet, but I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited to try my hand at writing something where people are happy and no one dies. So fingers crossed. <laughs> I was going to ask if what? it was going to be a tragedy. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so are we? <laughs> okay, but you, I mean, you've said a, a couple times that you love tragedy. Do you think it's something you'll be returning to in the future? Like, let's talk without plans. Like, are you drawn to tragedy? Are you, is it like, for me, like, I am so deeply drawn to like, People who are assholes. <laughs> and so I write a lot of char- like characters who are assholes and who are just like, but like good people. But, you know, just someone who's kind of rude and a jerk. And you're like, why are you such a rude jerk? And it's like, oh, tragedy. That's why. Um, but I'm curious for you. Do you think that those, you know, those tragic endings, those tragic storylines, are those going to keep pulling at you? You think you'll be writing more of those? Oh, most definitely. Like, I I love watching tragedy. I think there's nothing more cathartic than a good cry. Um, You know, a good cry once a day. (laughs) It really keeps you going. You've come to the right podcast. We're the crying podcast. Oh, amazing. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't cried this time, but wait for it. Still time. But yeah, I, I really, I don't, I don't even know why I like tragedy so much. I guess, like I said, it is cathartic. Um, I really like Titanic. I really want to make a space Titanic. So maybe that's also on my docket. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I, I believe um, Brent and Fit, Brent and Michelle, they were on the podcast a few mm. weeks ago. Yeah, I've been talking to them sometimes about Gay Space Titanic, and they also seem to like Gay Space Titanic, so maybe that that will be a thing. Fingers crossed. I love it. Gay Space Titanic. Can't wait. Can't wait. Same. It's going to be called GST. <laughs> um, <laughs> perfect. So, Fel, if listeners want to learn more about you online or follow you, where can they do so? Uh, so the place that I am most active is probably Twitter, and you can find me at fellhound underscore. Um, I also am on Instagram sometimes. You can find me at fell.hound. I am also trying to use my Tumblr more. I recently kind of undusted it, so if you want to look up fellhound, I can't remember if that's exactly it, but if you Google fellhound on Tumblr, you can probably find me. <laughs> Sorry, that's not very, um, yeah, eh, I don't remember They that. can Google <laughs> Yeah, and then if you want to buy my stuff, I have a, a website with a store on it, uh, fellhoundart.com, and you can see my portfolio and all my works, and you can buy my stuff. You can also find Commander Rao from Scout Comics. If you go onto Scout Comics' website, they have a really cool web store, and you can buy all the Scout Commander Rao's and all their covers there. And I think that's it. <laughs> oh, just just a couple little things. Um, yeah, it seems like you keep busy. I do have quite a few things going on. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe I should get some sleep today. And then I'm like, or maybe I can take on another commission or do another comic. And I'm starting to have some regrets, but it's okay. It's fine. We get that. We get that. Here at Bitches on Comics, we understand the desire to do all the projects all the time. And then what? You still have to make money? That seems rude. God, right? (laughs) Day jobs. 
Not appropriate. Not appropriate. <laughs> oh my gosh. Fel, you know, I've been a huge fan for a while now. Commander Rao rules. I'm so glad you've gotten the love and the recognition you deserve for it. Such an exciting story. And We Love You is just like the dip into the past I needed. I, I wouldn't have said that after reading Commander Rao. If you'd been like, and here's the backstory, I would have been like, okay, cool, I'll read it because I liked Commander Rao. But I love And We Love You. It was it was really, really powerful. And yeah, I definitely cried. Thanks a lot, <laughs> Belle. Just kidding. I too like crying. So Thanks a lot, mm. Phil. Yeah. You're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I can't wait to see what's ahead for you. And, and it's just such, it's so fun to have you on the podcast. Listeners, if you didn't know, we also reviewed Commander Rao over on our Patreon. We will link to that in our show notes, as as well as linking to Fell's Twitter, Instagram, website, so you can go snap up their comics, follow, snap up her comics, follow her, and, you know, just be the coolest, because that's that's the name of the game, is support indie comic creators real hard. That's the name of the game. Woo! Woo! So you said the coolest, and I popped open sunglasses and put them on, and <laughs> now I'm realizing that it's 8 p.m., so I'm going to take them off. <laughs> oh, thank you for being you here, Phil, genuinely. Thanks for having me. I I'm so happy to be here. Like you guys are so cool to talk to. I had a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, it was fun. Yay. <laughs> yeah, we're, Yay. we're like our voices go up like three octaves if somebody compliments us. Oh, like normally it. I sound like this, and then if somebody is just like you were nice, I'm like what? <laughs> I want you to <laughs> <laughs> me. Um, I can't do it very well with my little my little husky voice I've got going. Uh, thank you again, Phil. Genuinely, Sarah, as always, you are the tits. Monica, you are. we love you. We love you, Kate. We love you, listeners. We love our patrons. We love, what else do we love? I love ice cream. I like um, comics. I mean. We yeah. do love comics. That is kind of a big deal for us. We love bitches. Mm. Which is on like a little bit too much, actually. Mm -hmm. I want Commander Rao to punch me in the face and then make out with me, or make out with me and then punch me in the face, um, etc., etc. If you ask nicely, she'll be happy to do it. I heard it straight from the creator's mouth. No one can stop me. (laughs) Yes, we need one offering of Rao's pasta sauce, and anything can be arranged. (laughs) thank you for listening to bitches on comics we are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture as you might have guessed you can follow us on twitter at at bitches on comics and on Instagram at, at @bitchesoncomics. Our website is brace yourself, bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. 
I'm Essie Fleenor. You can learn more about me at essiefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at se underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.